0: My Lona definitely was also a musician. She was a singer, a dancer as well. And I miss her goofiness. She would sometimes
1: ad-lib on songs um, to make it inappropriate. <laughs> You're listening to In the Pocket, a podcast brought to you by the National Filipino American Lawyers Association. I'm June Castlemere. And in honor of the month of June as Pride Month, we're bringing you an incredible interview with Joey Bedua. While he's currently an associate at Kaufman, Dolowick, and Volokh in the Bay Area, with a practice that focuses on employment, real estate and commercial litigation, he has a wealth of experience ranging from public service to legal aid and housing advocacy. But what I've come to appreciate the most since I first met Joey is his generosity. It's not just the gift of time volunteering or contributing to our philanthropic community and so many others, but also sharing of experience even when he is the most vulnerable. And this isn't an easy thing to do. Joey, first and foremost, at the outset, thank you for being with me today to record and share your story with us. So walk me through what you thought after we first asked you to come on our podcast.
0: Hi, June. Thanks for having me. When you asked me back in March about participating in the In the Pocket podcast, (laughs) and mind you, I'm a fan, I was taken aback because of the previous participants of the podcast. And I was going through several personal and professional transitions at that time. And I think I had mentioned to you that there may have been other great philam attorneys in the LGBTQIA community that could be interviewed for the Pride podcast. And also I asked for some time to um, be intentional about making the decision. And during this time that I, I took to make the decision, I did a lot of work on grief, um, some disappointment, confusion, despair, and, and physical pain. And while these feelings have not gone away, I think I took the time and energy to feel okay and to to say to myself that, do I have the capacity to say yes to this? Um, Because it is a big responsibility, I feel like, um, to share my story. And also my intention was to be able to have this conversation and to share my experience for those who may be going through similar path um but but in the process you know i've i've spoke with some folks in the community different communities and had come outside of it with better physical emotional spiritual and mental bearing in my in my body and practicing the gift of compassion and grace to myself as i would with those i i come across and again my hope is that while my story may be incomplete or not wrapped neatly in a, a bow at the top, maybe someone will hear that it's okay to have a gap and to not have everything completely figured out yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that counts for something.
1: Right, and for what it's worth, Joey, I don't think I've had everything completely figured out either. And so part of the process for in the pocket and frankly being um, a philam attorney is continuing to learn from each other, and um, already in this um, preparation process, I've learned so much already from you. Uh, So let's start with the beginning. While you were born in the Philippines, you grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. Can you tell me how that has uh, shaped your identity?
0: Yes, I was born in the Ilocos region of the Philippines, but grew up primarily in Honolulu, Hawaii, in Kalihi Palama, which is an urban inner city community with approximately 63,000 residents, many who are Asian, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Island, ethnic minorities. Kalihi, uh, in Hawaii, olelo, kalihi means a place of transition, which is fitting in many ways for me as I was an immigrant navigating, you know, differences in in languages and cultures, as well as my identities of being queer and transmasculine. And my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, and I should have started out with that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, June, what is your pronoun?
1: (laughs) My pronouns are, uh, she and her and Shaw. Thank
0: thank you. Thank you. Um, you see, growing up, you know, there were kids in my neighborhood that were clumped into automatically with the boys and the girls. And, um, I was sort of a rebel. I hung out with all the cousins but tended to play with the boys and did a lot of physical activities like hopping fences to go to the neighbor's backyard and pick guava or macadamia nuts. But also we I played with the girls and, you know, adopted stray kittens and at the end of it all we would also hang out with the adults, my uncle had a band and so we would enjoy ourselves with the music and that, that was kind of the outdoorsy activities that I was engaged in. My mom and I um, immigrated um, and lived with extended family members and so we were always interacting with lots of people growing up. But I, I did have sadness in terms of my my primary cousins in the Philippines that couldn't make it to the United States and um, and so I had to learn how to cope with that a lot of my the adults in my life worked at the hotels or in the restaurants and when they come home they had all their their bags of of packed lunch and, and clothes that they wore because they would be drenching in sweat. So they'd bring extra clothes. And so <laughs> I grew up with images of hard work and also relaxation and, and making time for each other and taking care of each other. And so the aunties would also bring home food for us. I remember one auntie worked at a cookie factory and you know they, they were given um, from their employers like broken cookies to hand out to the kids. Um, and when I was in middle school, I actually learned ukulele, and that was that was my giving back of you know, oh, you know, bring your ukulele and sing us a song. I mean, mm-hmm. I lived in a rough neighborhood as well, so when there were moments of of joy and
1: relaxation, we we take the
0: time to to do that.
1: The places that you don't see on the highway are are the most interesting to me.
0: Yeah, and that's where um, the perception of of Hawaii and the Philippines having a common thread of of colonialism, where you know mm-hmm. we are what we produce, you know, Philippines right. and pineapples and Hawaii and surfing, you know, and and that's kind of all we're known for um, is what we produce, but. The process of production, you know, takes more than that. My community really encouraged me to to go to higher education, and they knew I was talkative, and they say "bravo, <laughs> bravo," um, that I I had courage and bravery to to do things um, maybe that they couldn't envision um, for themselves because I I did have. An uncle, you know, who was a lawyer and in the Philippines, and and he, he couldn't do that, so he became a, a radio broadcaster and a court interpreter. And so when I was practicing in Hawaii as a public defender, and we would see each other in the court he was so proud to introduce me to his fellow court interpreters, you know, oh, this is attorney Badua, you know, and, <laughs> and it was, it was like a little embarrassing, <laughs> but also I could see the, the, the beam in his smile.
1: I can imagine the pride uh, in at his eyes and in your family's eyes and seeing you practicing um, and just just, um, again, continuing to be this amazing force and this uh, vibrant thread in the fabric of our legal community, as we we like to say on on the podcast. Another source of strength for you is um, your mother Uh, and a consistent theme in our podcast have been our guest recollections of their mothers and their experiences with their mothers. Can you tell me um, a little bit about your relationship with her?
0: My mother raised me as a single mother since uh, my dad died when I was six years old. Having had to immigrate to the United States with me, my dad, and my dad passing, just a month after our arrival caused my mom to had to muster whatever strength she had to take care of me and her family in the Philippines. And, And I saw that she worked multiple jobs and when I was old enough to volunteer at, at the care homes that she worked at and, you know, even um, going on the weekends with her at the food repacking factory, I could see how pride, how much pride she put in her work. She was moving so fast that, you know, her entire outfit would be wet after shift, you know, showering clients or just, you know, drenched in sweat and this sense of excellence that she carried with her, the way, even when she folds our clothes and um, how to treat other people. And, you know, even recalling her teaching me how to write in cursive, she, she was a perfectionist in a sense. <laughs> um, and she is also very religious. Like now that she, she's kind of easing down with work, She does a lot of planting, so the first thing you see driving up to her house is a a Virgin Mary statue with the beautiful plants that she tends around it. Her energy of hard work and sacrifice definitely rubbed off on me. And in high school, I actually learned how to drive so I could alleviate her and, you know, drop off my grandparents to work and pick them up. I also worked summer jobs so I could save money for law school, I knew that I I wanted to study law in college and decided to, you know, in a way, um, sacrifice me going away to the continental U.S. for college and stay with her and my grandparents. Each moment that I I can thank her, I do. Um, But also our relationship is changing in that now she's still trying to understand that I, I am who I am, and that I am separate from her identity of me as a, her child.
1: Tell me a little bit more about her reaction when you started um, to transition and take on your identity of uh, who you are. How did she? How did she react? And how has the process been um, over the course of, of of time as as you start to really take on, um, being Joey? Yeah, I think she always,
0: um, noticed something different about me from the other kids. And, you know, and again, she's very religious. So she tried to do her best to, you know, bring me upright, um, in the church Mm -hmm. and, um, with higher education. And I did all of that, um, you know, with, with joy and, it was when I well, it was it was incremental. I I came out then as a lesbian and bisexual in high school because I was attracted to um, classmates who identified as as femme, and you know. And I think for her it was good. Like you're not getting pregnant in high school. <laughs> That was literally what 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 I got. Um, and in college, it was like, "When are you gonna be with a man?" And it was it was like, "Okay, um, I'm just trying to make it." You know? Right. <laughs> and and so when I went to law school, I, you know, I still ha hung on to. Like beliefs about what um, what I learned growing up and accepting, you know myself. And also I, I felt like I, I wasn't there yet. I went to law school in Golden Gate University, San Francisco, California. At that time, it was when USV Windsor was um, decided and it was exciting. There was a lot of openness. Um, Gay marriage was legal. DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act was struck down. I still felt different. And so, you know, I went back home to Hawaii and practiced law there because my grandma got sick. It was then that my gender identity kind of surfaced, the the questioning of it. I remember having a client who identified as transmasculine, you know, and was not given affirming care in the hospital, and it it caused uh, my client to be in the justice system, and I had to advocate for his rights, not just his due process rights, but his right to be identified by his name and his gender. Mm-hmm. I remember having to object to affirm my client's identity. And that memory still stuck with me. I still get a visceral feeling being in a seat and really feeling how my client was feeling. Over time, I decided to go back to the Bay Area where I could explore who I am. Mm-hmm. And that, that was hard it, because I left my family back home.
1: What you were advocating for was not just due process, was not just his right to be called by his chosen pronoun or his name, but it's also defense and advocacy of his dignity as well. Exactly. And and one person that comes to mind
0: is Justice Ruth Ginsburg, who was ahead of her her time in sense of a legal profession that still discriminated based on gender. And yet, you know, she continued to come back and, and challenge the court's decision. And I think there's a quote that she mentioned, justices continue to think and can change. I am ever helpful that if the court has a blind spot today, its eyes will be open tomorrow. That, that's a quote that in a sense gives me solace that the fight today could be lost, but, you know, keep moving forward.
1: Which is something that you've continued to do through your, your life, right? And not only that, but the practice of, but your your legal practice as well.
0: The personal experiences that I have are not as in common. There are a lot of folks who have felt the way I feel in sense of my mother's resistance or initial resistance or even insisting on an email address that has my name on it versus you know my given name right those experiences are not uncommon being being misgendered by even our clients um you know and and they do it with the best intentions you know and they say thank you attorney and it's like sometimes um We have to just either pick our battles and regroup and cope Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: say something. And that I think that's a very personal decision. One
1: of the things that we don't emphasize enough in our legal community is craft and creativity and ingenuity. And you had mentioned to me that growing up, your lolos and your titos and your uncles were all creative. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: My family—they're hardworking. My grandpa is a silversmith back in the Philippines. Oh wow! Actually, that's yeah, amazing. Panday is the word. He learned how to shift with the times. He—he—he he, he went to high school tech, like technical school, to learn um, mechanics, and I—I I think he—he—he he, he transitioned into driving a bus because he wanted to be adventurous and you know explore the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> And that was after the war, World War II, where he was introduced to foreigners who, you know, who wanted these sidecars to be built next to the motorcycle, right? Tricycles mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. Philippines. So he he learned how to make sidecars, and and he br- brought that back home into his village, and he was the sidecar guy. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> and then he adapted to right. building windows and fences and you know farm tools.
1: Joey, you come from a tradition of creativity and ingenuity, something that you have brought into your life because you are a or a DJ and a dancer. Re- remind me again, when did you pick up those uh, those skills and those interests?
0: I picked performing. I, I call it. I call it um, the love of music.
1: Something Some very Filipino, it... love of music, always. Yeah,
0: vibing. <laughs> vibing. <laughs> Community healing. Okay. Is a... Yes. Um, I picked up breaking in high school, college. Again, I grew up in Kalihi, where certain sports like golf or sailing may not have been a prominent sport, but hey, you bring a boombox and a cardboard box together, and you get breakdancing. And we we go to Farrington High School underneath the auditorium and just kind of hang out and you know learn some moves from each other of how to do a baby freeze or how to learn a six step. It was it was very informal, but in college, as breakdancing. The community became more organized, and there were corporate sponsors like Red Bull um, coming to do jams at in Honolulu, which is beautiful um, to see. Because, like a lot of a lot of the kids back then that I used to battle with, now they're big names in the breakdancing community, and they're traveling. They're being paid to to perform and judge and and mm-hmm. compete. In these mm-hmm. countries and I'm so excited that folks have really taken that on but for me I knew that dancing and hip-hop was for the love of it and not something that I, I could make a career out of because I knew I wanted to go to law school.
1: Did you decide to go to law school when you were in college or did you figure that out? Did you know um, before?
0: It was it was a little confusing. Um, <laughs> I felt like I felt like it would be an obligation and responsibility for me to support my family by taking a route that was a little bit more stable, like be, being a lawyer. However, I also didn't know what else to do. I, I think YouTube stars were becoming big at that time, and I, I did dabble in that a little bit. <laughs> I think one video I had playing ukulele um, had like 20,000 views at one point, And I thought that was cool. Is it but... still
1: up? Can we <laughs> Can I look for it? <laughs> Speaking of family and familial ties, your Lola uh, was so important to you in many ways. And she recently passed away. What do you miss the most about her?
0: My Lola definitely was also a musician. She was a singer a dancer as well, and I miss her goofiness. She would sometimes ad-lib on songs um, to make it inappropriate. Of course. <laughs> That's what Lola's do.
1: <laughs>
0: and I think she also sensed that I was a tomboy, and she would tease me and call me Barok, which in Ilocana mm-hmm. means like son or grandson, and I didn't correct her. I think she 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 knew me more, more and before I knew myself. Lola was actually the first family member that I came out to, if not the second. I remember I came back after graduating law school and passing the Hawaii bar. And she would never call me like, you know, the feminine version of, child just just either baroque or Apo, and when i passed the bar she came to my party and she told me that she was proud of me and i was like oh isn't it cool that your Apo is is a lawyer? like she said you know whatever you are whoever you are gonna be like you're 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 loved you're accepted Mm -hmm. and so miss those affirmations that she would give me that she loved she loved me and she loves me no matter if you know i was an attorney or not or was trans i'm trans masculine or not like her love is there regardless she was the sweetness of my life she was a jokester an attentive listener and she purely enjoyed life and led that example of sharing her goodness with others with the bird watching thing, that, that was her favorite activity, getting her fixed and dressed and out of bed. She looked forward to just being in the sun and watching the birds come by, and all kinds of birds, seagulls, you know, cardinals, blue jays. There was, there was a moment where I had told her about, you know, possibly, you know, possibly being, like, a boy, and, mm -hmm, you know, and she just nodded her head. She didn't say, you're not a boy. She didn't say, "Um, think about it again. She just nodded and listened, and she spoke, you know, with, with her presence, and she spoke softly, and, you know, I think I think that she was also a fighter that we thought she was going to go sooner than she actually did. And I officially came out to her in November, 2021, after I had gotten the court order changing my name to Joey. And I told her, Lola, my name is Joey now. Okay. And she just, you know, nodded her head. And... Mm -hmm. um. November twenty twenty one, I came back to the continental US and January 30, 2022, um, I had an inkling in my my gut to call my mom and I had FaceTime my mom and I and she was crying and I saw my grandma and the EMTs and mm. in, in the kitchen. She, they were trying to resuscitate her and you know, I was talking to her and just watching them, you know, do CPR and pump oxygen and, and she was gone. And, you know, it's, it's kind of mysterious and maybe magical that, you know, I, I called my mom at that very moment that
1: I got to see my last goodbye. One of the things you have taught me is that transgender experiences are varied and ultimately, personal, how can friends, family, and our community make space for differences in experience while at the same time uh, supporting our transgender members? Yeah, that's a great question,
0: June. I think my decision to disclose, you know, even to my grandma and my mom was a personal one. Some folks do not disclose um, for various reasons. And for me, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is to kind of share to parents maybe, of of how it's like on the other end of the fear and all the emotions that go on um, coming out. And I actually applaud a lot of my friends. In and outside of the legal circles that I'm in, you know, in NAPABA, the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association, and the National Filipino American Lawyers Association for for even doing like a mock coming out conversation with my mom. I knew my mom was going to take it hard just because of who she is, but I didn't think the impact was going to take a blow um, at my self worth, so after my grandma passed away, I had already been on, on testosterone. I decided to, to take um, to take the next step of medical transitioning, and you know not not everyone does that, and that's not a requirement to be a valid trans person. I want the community to know that you can still be trans and not come out at all or come out in various stages. Like I want people to validate folks in the trans community, you know, basically to believe them when they say they're trans. But I I myself mm-hmm. made that decision for you know, for my own reasons. My grandma passed and I decided to give it some time before I came out to my mom and I Took a lot of intentional conversations with with folks about this because I knew it would hurt, and it did hurt, and we're still healing from it. So I I hope that this story, my story, could um, could be heard by people. Even saying they they know a trans person is a big deal. We all assume things in this world. I myself make assumptions. And one of the assumptions that exists in this world is gender. And gender being binary or, you know, black or white. You know, I hope that folks can challenge their own assumptions on things uh, like gender. I think it's just good practice as human beings and as lawyers as well, right? Um, to
1: fact check before making assumptions. It is... um effort and a burden to go on and to um to really speak to so like to frankly to be in the position of edu- of educating our community and other communities it's it's not easy and it requires a lot of like true vulner- vulnerability so again thank you for that
0: i hope one day but, we normalize yeah. just introducing ourselves Hi, my name is Joey. My mm-hmm. pronouns are he and his. What are yours? And, you know, the, the same way we talk about a third person, you want to say, you know, that person there with a white jacket and black shoes instead of, you know, ex-gender that we assume this person is. Because what if that's not their gender, right? Pride, you know, was a riot over time in 1987 with ACT UP in Washington, D.C. and, um, you know, trans liberation, it was a lot of effort that our ancestors, you know, in the LGBTQIA community had to fight for. And the ultimate symbol of pride is brick. You know, just Google history of pride. Going through the emotions that I've expressed um, this beginning of the year and, and planning for this wonderful event that I'll talk about in a few. I was telling my culture, why do we have to celebrate? It's just so sad. And Emmanuel Salazar, my culture for Infala Ganza, said, because that's what we do. We celebrate, we <laughs> shake it off, and we're fabulous. And so I.
1: And I can see his face too. <laughs> As well, well, it's not only that because you all know Emmanuel's hair is like always perfect, <laughs> so it's 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 a it is a hair toss. You know, we <laughs> we have been planning,
0: um, you know, along with Eric de los Santos and Enfala um, President Jerry Gonzalez Abrams, Noel Valles from Enfala Foundation, and Lockie Siap from the Chicago Asian Alliance, and. Many other players, I don't want to spoil, you know, the program, and Falaganza is an important community platform for us to shake off the sadness Mm -hmm. and the despair and be who we are. And this theme, The Power to Define, is so fitting um, for so many going through changes um, in their life, and being who they really are and being proud of it so um, we have drag queen performances we have um, homegrown talents in the infala family we have uh, judges speaking on their experiences of navigating their legal profession and and being authentic Um, so you know in addition to having um, this space, we want to raise funds for the LGBTQIA plus students who, you know, need bar funds to study and, mm-hmm. and get them through the next couple of months. Um, so, yeah, would like to invite you and Jonah and Heidi and everyone listening on June 24th, 2022 at 4 45 p.m pacific standard time um it's gonna be virtual but there will be local um affiliates hosting um, watch parties so if you want to know more information about that you can log on and follow.com slash
1: pride nfala.com slash pride how do you think Further inclusion and representation um, in the legal community, for sure. I think affirming settings in
0: your home, your workplace, your places of worship. You know, your grocery store. I was at a a cycling a cycling shop, and I just overheard um, a a store front manager who um was talking to a customer and I think the customer had already said multiple times you know my pronouns are they them theirs and the the employee was not listening and so I saw I saw another employee come in and and correct the first employee and you know and 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 that was cool so I, I I said hey second employee that was pretty cool that you did you know I affirm their ability to speak up and and say something about you know the impact that they were having on this customer you know and I think on a more systematic scale, you know caring for the elderly um, LGBTQIA folks you know who are now in home care settings and also the youth supporting organizations like the Trevor Project, or ENCAPIA, the National Career of Asian Pacific Alliance, um, where they are constantly providing educational materials for families based on diverse culture and languages um, to, to help you know folks who may be coming out or already out and, and protecting them and giving them hope to imagine beyond what they're experiencing right now. Because nearly half... Of LGBTQIA youth seriously have seriously considered suicide, and that's an NPR article that was published in May, 2022. If you see interpersonal or environmental microaggressions, call it out. If um, you know someone, someone has come out to you, and is telling you, you know how they feel you know, just listen, like my grandma, you know, don't say, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Or don't say, you know, (laughs) I heard of these treatments, they're bad, they ruin your body. Don't don't say that, (laughs) like, just listen, and, you know, and, and maybe not be so quick to give advice just yet, because, you know, because it's very difficult for the youth to imagine a future when there's um, this disjudgment
1: and discrimination all around them. One of the things that, of course, is is common with your background as well as a lot of Filipinos is growing up um, in uh, in a Catholic family. Uh, how has that impacted your your you know your identity and your you know your um, your 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 journey, particularly with your you know with your with your um, your mom and your your Lola?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, grace is something that I learned in, you know, in my experience in the Catholic Church and forgiveness. And this is my own journey. I just recall, you know, our memories struggling through a lot. And I, I think grace and forgiveness um, and love, these values are what, guide me to to move in the world the the way I do and also you know like I have boundaries now so I'm gonna tell my mom (laughs) okay I will uh, hang up now if you're gonna keep continuing this conversation (laughs) and it's okay it's okay and also I recognize the the struggles that my mom and my grandparents have have uh, experienced so that I, I could be where I am today. And so it's, it's that balance of acknowledgement and affirmation. And it has to be mutual, right? It can't be just mm-hmm. one
1: side doing the grace and compassion. It, and then you uh, had mentioned that you understand that she also has a grieving process that she has to go through as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that in your your own words? One
0: comment that she made when I came out that I was too medically I was medically transitioning was that she would miss my singing cuz you know me on the ukulele all the time was something I did growing up and I would sing I pitch key notes you know Alicia Keys right Winnie Houston mm-hmm. Mariah Carey and she'd miss that she said who's gonna sing to me now I'm like I'm still gonna sing to you just a different set of songs <laughs> and and so I still do that but sometimes the resistance is not logical and it's just a feeling or a memory. You know, and, and this is what I do in the practice of law when I'm talking to a client, you know, or opposing counsel, right, or even a judge. What is the root of their resistance? You know, is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it lax capacity? And for my mom, it, you know, it, it was sadness. It was a loss that she thought would, would never come back. But... We all change in life, and I can't Mm -hmm. be stuck in a body that isn't me to keep her happy, right? So, it's Mm -hmm. sometimes there is a way to meet halfway, and sometimes, you know, like my grandma's loss, sometimes it's adapting to the new environment
1: and finding ways to cope. And be creative about it, right? Because everyone adapts. Again, everyone adapts mm-hmm. differently, and everyone has different different experiences. If I, um, if I <laughs> asked at one of our Enfala events, of course, hey Joey, I need a play a song on the ukulele for me. What are your What are your just the way you songs? are by Bruno Mars. Of course, Bruno Mars. <laughs> and what other, what other ones? Um, Shawn Mendes. There's nothing holding me back,
0: right? Ooh, that's a good karaoke song.
1: Yeah, right. That's a good one. That is a good karaoke slash ukulele. Now, now we're talking <laughs> <laughs> ukulele karaoke because you sing me in in karaoke action. So you're pretty good. I try. I need to. I need to get back. I need to practice again for our for for our, our next uh, sessions.
0: So. <laughs> and then the last song would probably be BTS and Halsey Boy with Love.
1: One of the things that you mentioned before was, of course, um, the ways in which and follow members can support each other. And we talked about incremental changes. Incremental actions can also be helpful, too, as, as well, right? I think being satisfied with incremental changes when the
0: needs are so immediate and necessary isn't you know needs to be reconsidered right if the way i see it an incremental change would be putting a band-aid on a cut but like if it's not just a cut if it's like it requires more immediate action then you know you'd have to take drastic action so right. it depends on the situation joey
1: thank you for this simple yet grand gesture of kindness and speaking with me today and i shall see you again soon to celebrate uh and fall with you I think it'll be a fun one. I think I might have to have to have to make some some purchases <laughs> soon, but I do have some um, plenty of um, glitter and glitter eye makeup Beautiful. for like to go around for yes. sure. <laughs> You've been listening to in the pocket. Don't forget to join us virtually on Friday, June 24th at 4:45 Pacific Time for Enfala Ganza. Details are at enfalla.com pride.